I've decided I like making more work for myself, so welcome to a very special <coughs> and time-consuming three-part episode of my flock experience. Fasten your seatbelts. Today I attended the second day of the International SAT Conference. It was quite a theoretical day and I enjoyed it a lot, despite not understanding a great deal of it, but that's okay. There were so many interesting topics and I thought for this episode I picked just a couple of them and tried to talk about them in more detail. Obviously, I can only really scratch the surface, but perhaps it will give you a flavour of the kinds of things discussed at the conference. One of the lectures today was on the topic of something called symmetry. The lecturer gave a helpful, albeit very mathematical, definition for what symmetry is and how it relates to the Boolean satisfiability problem. I think this is hard to understand, and I'd rather try and explain it with something more familiar. I've already mentioned chess once on this podcast, so let's think about that. Have you heard of the eight queens problem? This is a little puzzle where you have to try and place eight queens on a chessboard so that none of them are attacking each other. Queens can move as far as they like vertically, horizontally, and diagonally, and this makes it difficult to find some configuration where they're not in conflict. You can turn this into a SAP problem and use a solver, but let's not worry about that. Let's keep our thinking in the realm of chess, away from those scary Boolean equations. A symmetry for this problem is more or less what you'd expect. When we learn about symmetries in school, they're normally in relation to shapes, where you can rotate them or mirror them, that kind of thing. If you're given a correct solution to the eight queens problem, you can rotate the board by 90 degrees and get another solution to the problem. Alternatively, you could mirror the board, i.e. swap the pieces on the left with those on the right to get another solution. In some sense, you can think of a symmetry then as a particular type of function, you apply it over your chessboard and it spits out another chessboard. The important thing is that if the original chessboard was a solution, then the symmetric one should be too. It needs to be a solution-preserving operation for it to be a symmetry. Okay, that's all well and good, but why do we care about symmetries? Well, if we're able to discover one, then it can be exploited in a couple of different ways. We can trivially find more solutions to the original problem by applying it, this is like telling your friend you found four different solutions for the eight queens problem. Then when they ask to see them, you show them one and spin the board around three more times for the others. I'm sure they'll be impressed. The more useful way to use symmetries is to decide on one canonical version of the solution and eliminate the others. So when your friend points out these are all kind of the same solution, you agree that, okay, in the future, we'll only allow the version where the queen on the far left is closest to the bottom left corner, or some kind of rule like that. In practice, this cuts down the search space considerably, because you can immediately rule out chessboards that don't follow the rule you agreed on. By the way, if we keep applying the symmetry function, eventually we'll get back to where we started. The chessboards that we see along the way are called the orbit, and for the 90 degree rotation symmetry, the size of this orbit is 4. You might have heard this term used before to describe Rubik's cubes. This all falls under a branch of mathematics called group theory, and specifically something called permutation groups. In practice, these symmetries are often hard to find. 
They're easy to think about when we're dealing with two-dimensional objects like chessboards, but when it's a Boolean equation with a million variables arranged arbitrary into clauses, it's not so obvious. The types of symmetry probably won't be anything geometric that can easily be imagined, but the fundamental idea is the same. If we can find one, then we can break the symmetry, usually by applying some arbitrary ordering on the symmetric solutions. Okay, well if your head isn't hurting by now, then I'm going to consider that a success. I'd also like to talk for a while about proof systems, so I think I'm going to make this a multi-part episode. See you in part two.